0: Practical Wisdom, Scott Allen. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening wherever you are in this beautiful world. My name is Scott Allen and I am the host of Phronesis Practical Wisdom for Leaders. I am an associate professor of management at John Carroll University in Cleveland, Ohio, USA. I'm an author, an entrepreneur, a speaker, a nonprofit founder, and the host of two podcasts. I'm also a husband and dad of three. You just heard from Kate, my daughter, who wrote and performed the Phronesis intro. Phronesis offers a smart, fast-paced discussion on all things leadership. My guests are scholars and practitioners, and we cover timely, relevant topics and incorporate practical tips designed to help you make a difference in how you lead and live. Now, I am proud to share that Frenesis is the official podcast of the International Leadership Association, an association that is near and dear to my heart. ILA brings together leaders and those who teach, study, and develop leadership, advancing leadership knowledge and practice for a better world. Learn more at ilaglobalnetwork.org. If you like what we're up to, please click subscribe so you can stay up to date as we release new episodes each week. You can also share what we're up to with others. And now, today's show. Okay, everybody. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon. Welcome to the Phronesis podcast. And today, I have Randall Joy. And I love how she describes herself in her bio. She says that she is a global Wanderer, Maybe that's what we'll title this this episode, Randall. I love it. Uh, She has moved from country to country, working in international development since the 1980s. So she's worked and lived in India, Cameroon, Morocco, Nicaragua, El Salvador, Romania, Ukraine, Belarus, Moldova, Liberia, Bosnia, Iraq, Afghanistan, Jordan. That's just a few. She is an author. Her book, Proleptic Leadership on the Commons, Ushering in a New Global Era, was published in October 2020, and she has a new book that she co-edited, Reimagining Leadership on the Commons, Shifting the Paradigm for a More Ethical, Equitable, and Just World. Now, her books have won awards. You can find out more about that in the show notes. She has her PhD from the Fielding Graduate University an MA in philosophy and an MBA from the University of Chicago. She did her undergrad at Berkeley, and she's a grandmother. Maybe that's the most important thing. She was just this last weekend with her grandchild at the Science Museum. Maybe that's the most important thing we need to let listeners know. Randall, what do you think listeners need to know about you?
1: Well, indeed, I am a grandmother and it's really been interesting that the pandemic has given me the opportunity to be with my grandchildren because I work overseas and I'm currently working in El Salvador. And so I didn't see my grandchildren very often, only perhaps at Christmas or summer. And so now, um, you know, we were all evacuated back to the States and I have been able to to work virtually with my team. They're all extremely high, powerful, uh, professional Salvadorans and they're doing really well without me, (laughs) maybe better than when I was there. And so I have really had the pleasure of visiting my grandchildren, both in Maryland and now in New Hampshire and exploring the world from their eyes.
0: (laughs) Oh, that's great. Yes. We were just talking about before we we started recording, uh, seeing the world through their eyes. It's so much fun; it really is the first time they experience something new, right? Whether it's bubbles, or the holidays, or just—I—I I, I love that moment when my my children learn something new that they never had any concept was a thing, and just watching the processing happening in their eyes. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it is indeed fascinating and revives our spirit, I think. Yes. Now I have more energy to continue my global wandering.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, Randall, we need to talk about a couple of things because you're using some words that I'm unfamiliar with. I have not come across proleptic leadership or on the commons and maybe some listeners have not heard that phrasing or terminology as well. So help us understand uh, how you're thinking about leadership. I'm really, really interested in learning more.
1: Okay. Well, I discovered the commons uh, many years ago when I was looking for evidence about global civil society because I work in international development. And one of the areas that we're really keen to develop is a strong civil society that's kind of a balance to government and the private sector and i started seeing the word commons everywhere and <laughs> that led me of course to garrett commons uh, article now famous article tragedy on the commons in you know in which he looks at the commons as a piece of shared land
0: mm. in
1: which people the farmers would bring their livestock to graze but inevitably there would always be a farmer who would overgraze and feel like he could get more than the others and not take responsibility for caring for the field. Wow. Um, so basically, Hardin was worried about overpopulation. He wasn't in, at all, you know, a commoner or concerned per se with the commons, but he was, his concern was that um, we would overpopulate the earth and destroy all the resources. Well, then Eleanor Ostrom. A professor at Indiana and who became a Nobel Prize winner, um, argued with him and said, "No, you've missed the major point, and that is that people can communicate, they can develop ways of working together so that they don't overuse resources." And she she really started the whole commons movement. Um, she studied uh, resources, natural resources, but the commons movement has really moved into everything uh, knowledge, information, now the internet and online communities and so forth. So that really now I think people conceive of the commons as an organizational form, a self organized community that's uh, co managing, co leading some type of what they consider shared resources according to certain values. And those are highly ethical values of compassion, collaboration, um, responsibility, and um, the gift. The gift economy. There's uh, the commons etymologically kind of combines the concept of gift and responsibility. You receive something, but you owe something at the same time. And so I discovered a whole list of extremely interesting writers. Yeah. that have been writing about this concept. And it's growing actually. And a lot of them are predicting that the post-capitalist society will be a common-centric society. So I just became extremely fascinated with it and started interviewing individuals that were working, living on commons, trying to find out what their values were, how they lead, what how they conceive of the future. So that's kind of how I I got into it by accident.
0: (laughs) Well, that is, I mean, I have never, I have not heard of this. So what did you learn in some of your research talking with people? What were some of the findings that you came across?
1: Well, I found that a lot of people that got into the commons were very concerned about increasing enclosure, Mm. which means that a lot of things have been privatized and commodified that they consider should be open huh. for example water all the water companies are you know taking the water out of the great lakes and other bodies of water and marketizing them in el salvador that's happening all the bottling companies are there but yet people don't have water yeah <laughs> you know half of the population lives without water or relies on rainwater or occasional water so and it was happening in other fields like um, um, land in things even like culture they were thinking that culture was getting more commodified things like knowledge because the move has been that a lot of companies that were um, running journals and um, libraries and so forth started the same process of buying each other out so there's fewer companies now that provide that information and knowledge and it's extremely expensive mm. and a lot of copyright lawyers from Harvard actually started writing a lot about that 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 has really limited the possibilities for creativity and science because a lot of people can't access that knowledge and information upon which they could expand and it would uh, generate more creativity and then the internet came in and commoners thought that was the great way for people outside of the state and outside of the private sector to manage communities mm. of course we know it 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 happened to some extent but there's all as every new technology some people use it for good and others use it for bad so
0: yes um yeah, I think since since fire, that's been the case with human beings. <laughs> I think you're absolutely right. Or maybe the stick, I guess. I don't know. No. I don't know which probably the stick was first.
1: <laughs> I think, you know, that commoners feel that they're on the good side of all that and that they're looking forward to a society in, which has higher ethical values. And it's based on community and care is fundamental. And there's a lot of now writing on care. And how important it is as a foundational value.
0: Randall, when you talk of commoners, are mm-hmm. they living in community together? Are they just people with a mindset in, in different places all over the world who have who have come together to to talk about these topics? Help me understand that that because I again I am. This is it's it's rare that I come across something I've literally never heard of, (laughs) especially when it's Nobel laureates writing about it. (laughs) I I love it.
1: I think commoners are, you know, cover the spectrum from those that are actually living in community, managing uh, resources. The echo villages, for example, all over the world where people have really decided to come together and live in community and manage their lives separate from the government and from the private sector. Hmm. And then there's a lot of scholars or there's practitioners that are just interested in it. So I think it covers the spectrum. It's those really who are, are very concerned with all the increasing enclosure and possibilities of not having access to resources. And also concerned about the value system that has um, arisen
0: in our society. Talk about echo communities. I've not heard of echo communities. So so tell me a story, uh, maybe somewhere in the world where, because I imagine when you were doing the research, you visited some of these communities?
1: Yeah, I was just ready and I'd already paid to go to Costa Rica from El Salvador to live on an echo community for a while. Really? And then the pandemic hit and um, they canceled all the flights and they canceled the echo community in Costa Rica, for example, it's a group of people that, and some of them have been living there like over 20 years in really? which they live in natural surroundings. They grow their own food. They have their own design of how the community looks and interacts. They have their own way of making decisions. They create their own rules. And Eleanor Ostrom, who started this whole thing, was very, she had eight principles huh. by which a commons could more most effectively be governed. And the rules are extremely important. And also the what happens, the consequences when people don't follow the rules. Echo communities like other commons have gotten together and developed rules, how they're going to live together, what their values are, how they're going to eat, who has what responsibility, and so forth. But they're there because they they feel strongly that they want to live in a sustainable world. They value the notion of community. And they felt that their lives, uh, you know, in the mix of society was being they didn't have the power. That's the other thing I wanted to mention. A lot of commons is derived from the notion that people feel powerless. Mm. They want more control over their lives. They want more control over decisions that affect their lives, more control over what they can eat, what they um, you know, just what they can believe and so forth, and feeling that often society has kind of closed in on them, giving them the sense that they don't have as much control or power over their own lives that they would want.
0: Okay, this is really fascinating to me. I want to go to so who owns the land for some of these communities? Is it someone who just decided to use that land for for an echo community? But also, what are some of the eight principles? Are there one or two that stand out for you? and how does accountability work in that community because i I'm, i imagine before you in costa rica for instance before you were going to gonna go and live there you would have had to have agreed to to their their way of being correct
1: well that's true but you know i was a temporary visitor so yeah i i wasn't committed to that lifestyle long term yeah but yes while i was there i would have i would not have been able to be there if i didn't agree and if I, you know, traversed their rules, they had the right to tell me to leave. So definitely. So that's an essential part. And in terms of land ownership, I think um because I interviewed another echo community in New York. They're all over the, the world. Really? How do you say yeah.
0: echo? echo? I'll put I'll put this in the ECO,
1: ECO. Okay. Echo and community. Uh, Yeah, there's one very popular one in New York. As far as I know, they jointly own the land. They all have their own homes. So some and these are you know really nice homes. They're they're, you know, zero emission sustainable homes, but they're not, you know, if you go to more like in else in um, Costa Rica, the homes might be smaller, but many of the echo communities have just regular homes like yeah. you would find in any community. Just that they're zero emissions, that they're sustainable, because those are the some of the main principles for eco communities. They have their own decision making processes, and people have left their lives in in the city or wherever they're from, and you know devoted themselves to that. Um, they you know decide communally how to have their children educated and so forth.
0: And That is interesting. So what did you find out about leadership? How does it differ if it does it all in these communities or, or what were some insights?
1: This is one of the things that I kind of disagreed with a lot of the writers in um, the commons, because a lot of them, especially those that believe more in that we're shifting towards some kind of a communal communist type society, um, that leadership has no place. Mm. And I, I I disagree with that. So one of the reasons I did the book on proleptic leadership was to find out, does leadership still have a place in the commons? And, mm. and I concluded, absolutely. I mean, definitely when you're in a system, in a community, people play different roles of leadership, right? Yeah. So there doesn't necessarily have to be one monolithic leader over them telling them what to do but leadership is certainly being expressed and a lot of the writers in the comments say no it's it's governance but i i'm sorry but i think leadership and governance are quite different things Hmm. and when i looked into some of the um, system leadership literature you know i saw that also expressed governance is kind of okay How are the rule? What are the rules that we're going to operate by? Which is very important. Yeah, but leadership is the spark. It's the and and any system will die without that spark of innovation, that spark of insight, that spark that keeps. If you're talking in system terms, the system emerging to new forms in response to the environment or internal changes. So, I think leadership is still necessary. And I so I mean, I don't know about the future in a common centric if we do evolve into a common centric society, but I certainly think that leadership is important now. And then since commons are prefigurative forms.
0: Say say more about that real quick.
1: Okay, prefigurative is uh, living now as you would like society to be in the future. Okay, good. So commoners are living with the values, the relationships, and so forth, that they would hope that society would evolve into. That's prefigurative, and it's a powerful way of change. But when you translate that into leadership, it's proleptic because you have that vision of that perfect society that you want to create. And that vision drives your leadership. It drives the way you are, your being on every level, on the personal level, on the interrelational level, on the social level. Once you have that vision so clear, it keeps glimpses of it keep coming to you. I mean, theologically, we know it's the kingdom of God, right? That We're as Christians, we're to be living the kingdom of God, bringing it into existence. Uh, In literature, it's often a tool used to show what's going to happen at the end. And so you're reading and then trying to figure out, uh, okay, how is this, how does that, the puzzle of how would this end that way? Um, But in commoning, they definitely have a vision of a common-centric society. So to lead proleptically is to have that vision constantly, constantly um, in front of them. They're led by the future um, and, and that vision. And to me, it's powerful because it changes everything about you. Um, The way you live, what you think, understanding that everything you do is having an impact. I mean, just that realization makes people very cognizant of what they say, what they do, how they behave, because it all percolates. It percolates upward. And so I use in the book an action kind of framework of the micro- meso macro and even universal levels because even spiritually there i mean most of the spiritual traditions and and i did also do integral studies years ago and you know it's shown that almost all the spiritual traditions are evolutionary toward some future perfect future and some different relationship of who i am versus the universe so, I really think that that somehow is in the heart of every person. But if we need to be more consciously living that way.
0: Well, and it sounds like in these commoners are working to be very, very present with living those values and living by a certain set of principles that are very clear to them. And as you said, living. Uh, as as we would hope our society will be in the future how do they talk about spreading that word how do they i mean because again that would be an act of leadership in in and of itself to influence others that hey <laughs> we kind of have it figured out here we we we're doing it better we're living we're living a more fulfilling we're living a a, a more principled we're living a however we want to frame it a better life quote unquote influencing others that it's not a cult or that it's a better way of existence i mean that's a daunting leadership challenge in and of itself right because you're now taking on capitalism and other large systems in place am, am i in the ballpark right here or oh yeah you are absolutely <laughs> you are it's a it's a
1: huge issue you know i guess Writing the writing word of mouth. Some scholars think it will just happen naturally. (laughs) But most of the ones that I studied in terms of their model of changes, that they would start federating somehow, relating to other commons and somehow growing, growing, and so that people would start seeing that that was a better way of living. Mm. and start um, perhaps joining more but and then the sharing economy is not really a a common i mean parts of the sharing economy are very commons oriented but there's a lot of debate about the sharing economy because a lot of the companies uber and airbnb i mean they're run just like big capitalist country companies they have you know so (laughs) but In a true commons, it's a sharing economy. Some people think that because that's happening more and more, perhaps um, eventually it will shift to a pure sharing situation without the large corporations. I guess responsible leadership is trying very hard also to make corporations more responsible. There's a lot of different pushes. And Jeremy Rifkin kind of social theorist thinks that the commons world will evolve naturally because of things like the way production is being done, it's that there, will, there won't be enough profit left for companies to survive and that more local communities will start producing for themselves. There's a lot of different things happening in the world, both in production, in values, in the political space. That a lot of common scholars think is showing that we're moving in that direction, whether yeah. we will or not, that's another question but.
0: yeah tell me about so you hypothetically, have you lived for a period of time in one of these uh, eco communities in the past no okay so what's what's really interesting to me is once you arrive, i mean i just i literally every component, meals, toiletries. I mean, is it is it that we are working to literally make our own soap? Is it at that level? And, and we don't buy Tide?
1: <laughs> no, exactly. Where, if you really we- want to live separately. No, absolutely. That's an extreme example. Yeah. yeah. I don't think that the the people in new york are doing that i think they, i mean they have their own houses they i think they still buy from the store but i guess i mean over time i suppose that's what they hope for i know when i was interviewing them they were setting up so everyone could have electric cars but i and i suppose there's some people making their own soap yeah but i think that (laughs) and this is one of the challenges of living in the commons, can't you really still need the market? How can we, at this point, be totally, I suppose, I mean, some communities are, they're off-grid, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: They do everything themselves. Yeah. But I would say the majority of people that believe in this model are still dependent on the market to a certain extent. The idea is either the market will become more humane or they will become more independent from the market so
0: yeah yeah it well it's interesting from a leadership the the leadership conversation of all of this yes within community there's acts of leadership but there's there's governance but but to your point if we're going to take the community somewhere new if we're going to discuss the 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 topic of everyone having an electric car versus not or making some other Visionary thought a reality, and that again that could be we're going to move to off grid living if we're in that new york community we're now we're going to move toward that's an act of leadership, but then also this 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 other level of leadership of influencing others around the world and around wherever it is you are in the world that this is the better approach that this is the the wise path forward that this is i mean that's a fascinating leadership challenge in and of itself to help others feel that, see that, believe that. And that's so interesting. That's so, yeah. you know, I, my wife and I were just traveling and our family were traveling through New Mexico and oh. there was this community that was featured in a, a, a video that we were watching. And I think it may have been one of those communities. It, mm-hmm. And I think you could rent and you you could stay on, but there was a whole community of off grid, housing. Wow, in, interesting.
1: And, it sounds like
0: it. Yeah. Yeah. The how the up. homes are made out of bottles. And I mean it was oh my goodness. Wow. Fascinating, right?
1: Yeah, certainly that state was kind of ahead of a lot of others.
0: <laughs> it's a fascinating state. I never I'd never yeah. had Beautiful. Mexico on my radar per se, but from mm-hmm. an, it 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 just on multiple levels is such a fascinating place.
1: I agree. Uh, there is an International Society for the Study of the Commons. Really? Uh, yes. And okay. it's global. I went to their conference in 2018 in Peru it was fascinating. And they bring in they bring in a lot of indigenous leaders to because, you know, they've been living in on commons from the beginning. <laughs> and so trying to learn from them about how to lead and what community means and so forth. Um, I would say probably most of the members of that are not necessarily looking toward becoming a common-centric society. They believe that commons is a viable way of organizing that can coexist now. Yeah. Um, But then the more radical ones, the scholars definitely believe that it's a prefigurative process of a post-capitalist society.
0: Well, because you can get into other tangential conversations of universal basic income and a bunch of other places that you can take take this this conversation, where uh, you know essentially we're moving toward that space where millions of people, at least in the United States, will be displaced because of technologies enabling disruption: truck drivers, sales associates, food prep. And we're already struggling. I mean, literally because of the the, the worker shortage right now and the, the struggles organizations are having to retain employees, they're having to digitize. And as they do so, you know, there, it's going to be Andrew Yang, his book, The War on Normal People, he does a beautiful job of kind of building the case that there's going to be major shifts in how we exist as human beings. That's so interesting. I I feel, uh, again, Randall, one of the things I love about this podcast is that I get to learn and there's all of these different areas of the world to explore that I maybe never had any concept of. So as we kind of begin to wind down, are there any other observations you had in your research about leadership on the commons? Or are there other facts that you would want people to know or be aware of so they could learn more.
1: Interesting that you're talking about Andrew Yang's, because definitely AI is going to have a huge impact. And some people think the commons is going to be a way of survival, wow. <laughs> of wow. the way of, that people can reorganize in order to survive all these changes. And that things will have to be more locally done, even politically somehow. I would just you know hope that people start reading more about this I think that there's some significance to it in terms of changes that are happening you know I've also been reading a lot of books lately on the future of the the global world and which the shift over to asia as the center of power and economic power and even political power mm. that the united states has to become more aware of where we're going And will we come out on our feet? And also, I don't know if you know, well, of course, you must know Meg Wheatley, but I mean, for example, she's training warriors of the human spirit because it's her contention that we're in collapse. Well, yeah, I've been involved with her group also, although I don't, I'm not going to lose hope. But so I think it's important to look at this and figure out is this something that can really help us see the future of our own country as things get more and more chaotic and as people are more and more displaced and lose jobs. I don't know. And how you can be a leader. You know, that's a challenge I think that you've given me. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) This is such a a noble idea. Shouldn't we be out, you
0: know, spreading the word? Yes. I mean... Again, I think I think we have to be open to m- many. I, I just yesterday, Randall, and I'm not going to remember that. I'll put it in the show notes. It might have been called Talios, but there's a there's a billionaire who's trying to create a community out in the desert and it's gonna be futuristic and it's gonna be the modern. The modern community for 5 million people, I think is the thing oh that they were, wow. were shooting for. For listeners, I'll put this in the show notes so you can at least check it out. But they're raising capital to to build this community, this modern community in the United States. And I, again, it, whether you look at this through the lens of, of sustainability or climate change or just economics, yes, Many shifts are afoot, changes afoot, how we adapt to that and how we move forward. I think I think we've lost sight of some very, very important knowledge. And you, having your experience, having traveled the world, know that better than anyone, right? Yeah,
1: I guess I have. Yeah. I, I have had the fortune of of learning a lot from other people. I always say that I've gotten more from others than I've ever been able to give, but Definitely. Hmm. Yes.
0: Well, Randall, what have you been reading or streaming or listening to that, that you would want listeners to know about what's caught your eye in recent months? Well,
1: as I mentioned, I've been reading all the books about uh, this transition. 2030 is supposed to be a major year of major transition um, in which Asia and Central Asia will rise reading Harari's books on the issues that we're facing I mean obviously all the writers I've been reading talk about climate change but mostly it's a shift in the world order yeah and how can the U.S. make a soft landing so yeah I've been a bit obsessed with all these books and there's a lot of books out now And I guess it does impact the work I do in international development, because I see somehow our impact, our approach, as being overtaken quite a bit by countries in Asia. Mm. (laughs) So
0: So staying up to date on on some of these individuals thinking about our place in the world, thinking about uh, soft landings. (laughs) Right? And thinking about different ways of being, different ways of living that may help us as human beings live a more fulfilling life.
1: I, I agree. And, you know, we need to get together and think about this before it's too late. Yeah. Because some of these thinkers, Meg Wheatley included, think that it's going to be a disaster for us. Really? But um and could end in third world war, which we'll lose. So I think that it's time to really start reflecting on who we are and how we can live together better. And not only U.S., but together globally.
0: Yes, and having just been in New Mexico, which was the epicenter, no pun intended, for a lot of what was the last world war, Uh, yes, we would want to avoid those outcomes at all costs, right? Mm. Well, Randall, you have taught me. I learned today and I am so (laughs) thankful for that. This is, I'm going to literally, when we get off, I'm going to go start Googling these uh, eco communities and just learn and learn more about the commons. And I'll put some more resources in the show notes and of course, resources to your books. And I think for listeners who are interested I'm just so thankful for your time today. And I'm thankful for you helping me see another little piece of the world that I wasn't aware of. (laughs) Well,
1: thank you. I'm always glad to open the door to something new. I mean, that's great. Thank you so much. It's been really interesting to Uh, talk to
0: you. Yes. Yes. Well, have a great day. Thank you. You too. The Global Wanderer. Again, I just love that phrasing. I think it's absolutely wonderful, whether she is in Morocco, Nicaragua, El Salvador, Romania, Bosnia, Afghanistan, Jordan. Uh, She is learning. And she is not learning from books. She's learning from experience. And I think that's absolutely amazing. And the comments. And echo communities. I had never heard of the concept and it was so much fun to learn. And it's just a reminder of how much I have to learn that there's so much to take in when it comes to this topic of leadership in the very, very different contexts in which leadership is occurring. So Dr. Randall Joy, thank you so much for joining me. It was a wonderful conversation, a conversation filled with You know, I just, I think of the word curiosity when when I think of your adventures as a global wanderer. As always, everyone, thanks for checking in. Be well. You, my friend, have just finished another episode of Phrenesis, Practical Wisdom for Leaders. To get in touch with me, visit www.scottjallen.net or send me a note at scott at scottjallen.net. I can also be found on Twitter and on LinkedIn. Now, if you have feedback, I would love to hear it. And as always, thank you so much for listening to Phrenesis. If you like Phrenesis, I have a second podcast. It's called the Captovation Podcast. That's with an O, -o Captovation Podcast, where I speak with experts on the topic of designing and delivering incredible presentations. And now... Kate's twin sister, Emily, with the outro. You've been listening to Phronesis, Practical Wisdom with Scott Allen.